Hi, I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, you're at the right place to make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Welcome everyone on this new episode of Let's Talk AI. I'm super happy to be here with Thales. Thales, how are you doing? Yes, I'm fine. And you, Thomas, I'm very excited <laughs> very, to be here. Very good, very good. Thank you. Um, I'm super happy to be here. Just a quick reminder to everyone who is listening. Let's Talk AI is the 360-degree vision of the data and AI field with experts today with Thales. Maybe Thales, for the people who might not know you, um, I've been following you for, for some time on LinkedIn, uh, and, um, and Paul recommended me to, to, uh, to, to, to contact you, um, check out the episode with Paul. Uh, it is a very interesting, uh, machine learning operations, frameworks, uh, ML engineer, uh, episodes. And I think it have been, uh, um, I mean, a lot of people have gave very good feedback. So, um, so this is why we're here today and maybe you can present yourself in a few words. Yes. So hi, everyone. My name is Thales. As someone said, I'm also an ML engineer. I'm friends with Paul via LinkedIn. And um, yeah, so I started my career uh, studying mathematics. Uh, I'm also an engineer. I started as an electrical engineer, and then I went to mathematical engineering. So And then I started working as an ML engineer. So I've been an ML engineer for about four years now. Wow. That's super. Okay. I can already um, have. Uh, I already have many questions about um, different parts, but I always try to to ask first: What are you trying to achieve today in your career? Um, what is your focus right now? Yeah. So uh, currently, I have two main focuses. I would say the first is being building a solid career in AI. You know, having the knowledge to back up uh, my decisions, uh, being the most data-driven as possible, I would say, and understanding how data can contribute to better companies and a better society in general. And the second goal that comes up a little bit with that, I would say, is to help out others who are starting same level, you know, maybe are facing similar issues that I've already faced, and maybe I can give them a little seat, you know. And that's what I've been trying to do on LinkedIn. I mean, it's an amazing community. I've already learned so much from Paul, from uh, many others. And I think I also try to contribute to that community as well. And you do more than uh, trying. Uh, I've uh, been following some of your contents and uh, it is a uh, very high quality. Uh, so maybe for the people who are listening, to just to get to know you a little bit better, you mentioned a bit your education path, uh, a bit what you've been doing, but can you give... Um, a brief retrospective of um, like the studies you've done and, and, and what you've been doing in your career? Yes. So I've worked in many because in machine learning, uh, both at the part of research. So I've already published some articles in NLP 
uh, and also the production part, so putting models into production, managing models in production, which is always a treat. And uh, also, you know, looking to that whole uh, optimization part, which I would say is the core of the ML engineering profession uh, and MLOps professional as well. But they optimize different parts, I would say, of the pipeline. So MLOps being optimizing the infrastructure, trying to get the model as a black box to run uh, as smoothly as possible and everything. And ML engineering focusing more on the model itself sometimes. Mm. Mm -hmm. But also, uh, as this is an emerging field, I would say, those roles are not actually very separated. They depend a lot on the company you are currently into. So right now, for example, I'm doing everything from research to production. So, so could you maybe explain what is a machine learning engineer with your own words and, and with your experience? Yes, for sure. So to me, uh, I would say the machine learning is of bringing models to production. So usually a data scientist is, uh, is someone who's going to take a problem. Right. Right, right. I think I'd like to uh, uh, go more in depth uh, in this question and ask uh, if uh, if you were to give some advice. Well, maybe this is a good opportunity also to explain what you share on LinkedIn based on this kind of uh, uh, experience and, and the content you're sharing. But uh, my question would go as follow: Could you share maybe? for any data professionals, whether they're data scientists or data engineers, how do you see um, a machine learning engineer path to, to start with? Like, where would you start if you were a beginner? And where would you improve if you are a more advanced professional who have some experience with a machine learning engineer? Okay. Yeah, so for beginners, I would say uh, the first step is trying to put at least one model in production. So either through an API, a batch, uh, a batch request, uh, even computation of some things because sometimes it's useful to reduce latency to pre-compute and most of the stuff. Mm -hmm. So I would say the first thing you need to do, you know, if you're already a programmer and you're looking into that, 
is try to uh, even take, I would say, a model that's already been trained, for example, in Hugging Face and in other platforms, there are quite many of those. Try to put that into production. So even, so try to work with the cloud. I usually suggest the AWS to start because it's the largest one right now. So I think it's a good start. And I will try to put uh, the model into production, which is what I try to uh, guide you through, uh, through uh, my book, MLOps 101, which is basically the end project. The goal is to have an inference pipeline in production that's running smoothly in the cloud. Hmm. Awesome. And for other yeah. people who are maybe more advanced, uh, how would you go about refining your skills and and being better, better machine learning. What does that even mean? So, uh, for more advanced people, uh, my recommendation would be to, you know, get a very hands-on approach. It's something I really like, right. especially in engineering. I think the best way to learn things is to build things. So, usually, try to build uh, different products, different types of products with machine learning. So if, for example, you're doing batch inference at work, maybe try something, you know, real time, maybe take a look into retraining, you know, monitoring your model in production, tools like that. You know, I would pick a one or two tools at max for each of those concepts and try to build a roadmap for myself. And of course, uh, I would try at the most sharing into LinkedIn because I think it's very useful mm -hmm. to, you know, get uh, get feedback from the community, uh, learn your blind spots as well, you know, things you haven't looked at and uh, mm -hmm. could be important on the library, for example, or even people who have already used that library in production and saw some other constraints that you weren't aware, which is usually the case. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, that would be the approach I would take and that I'm taking. Um, so... Now we have a better understanding of the machine learning engineer. We'll get into the pitfalls, into the challenges that you can face on, on your uh, on a daily basis. Uh, maybe for the people who are listening, I would I think it could be very interesting if you share your experience and what you've been doing in the field uh, so okay. far in your yeah. career. Yeah, so I've worked with many different domains of machine learning, both in research and production. Um, so, for instance, uh, recommender systems. You know, in general, now I'm working with. Uh, psychologists to produce the personality-based models combined with AI to get, uh, you know, personality-based uh, hiring uh, that privileges uh, soft skills. So I've also worked in a startup for audio recognition. So there are many different, uh, different types of applications of machine learning systems I've already worked with. And I would say that gives me a pretty broad view of the, of the field in general. That sounds super interesting. Um, yeah, psych psychology um, recommendation system is very interesting. Um, uh, so, so I'll definitely ask you some things about that. Uh, through your career, what are the main challenges that you faced as a right. machine learning engineer? So um, the main challenges, I would say, are usually engineering related, you know, because uh, the model was working fine. Usually you get good metrics, but the challenge is uh, how to get the data into the model in production. 
how to get the model to make predictions at a reasonable latency, uh, how to pay as little as possible for that, because that's a huge issue usually for business, I would say, and for us by consequence. So you need to you need to keep an eye on cost as well. So uh, how much infrastructure will you need to deploy your solution? Can you maybe compromise on uh, on metrics in order to get a simpler solution that works better than the current state? You know, but uh, Ready has some some improvements, and that is uh, remains uh, remains cost uh, cost efficient. So those are the main challenges that mm. a machine learning faces uh, every day. Right. Um, you mentioned cost management, and uh, you mentioned business. And at the beginning, also you you mentioned that your goal is to be data driven and to serve the business with your uh, ML engineer skills. Um, how important? It is, and this is kind of an obvious question. The easy answer would be obviously it is very important, but um, I'm really eager to know your state on on this perspective and how you implement it um, on a daily basis. So my question is, how do you um, make sure that you don't get lost in the detail of what we're trying to achieve or the best metrics or the best optimization? Because as engineers, we can sometimes get very into the specific parts, but how do we make sure that we stay aligned with specific metrics that are business focused and that we deliver real value, which have in the end an impact in reducing cost or, or increasing the, the returns that okay. the company can make? Yeah, I would say that uh, talking to business people, it's really important, you know, the beginning of the project, in the middle of the project, uh, throughout the project, at the end of the project, constantly talking to them, really grasping where the pain is, because sometimes the specs, uh, if the spec is not done by you, you do not really understand where the pain actually is, and maybe your model does not address mm -hmm. that uh, correctly. So I would say uh, do a good business spec, you know, Take time to really specify the requirements for your project. Uh, think about the use cases. Because like uh, once you have everything, like I really like the quote from Meistein. So if you had, a, you know, a, a hundred, uh, I don't remember exactly, but 99% of the time you should be thinking about the problem and 0.5 about the solution. It's something like that, which I think uh, really represents uh, something really good because if you really understand the problem, then coming up with a, with a solution, I would say is the easy part. The difficult part is understanding what you are trying to achieve. So I would, you know, I usually spend a lot of time on this. And also, I think uh, when communicating right. with them, it's really important to address them in terms they understand. Because um, for us, uh, talking about embeddings and uh, you know metrics and f one scores uh, it's really day-to-day -day, but not for them you know so uh you should try to you know address them in a manner they would understand and they would try to be on board of your solution basically because you have to kind of sell your solution to to business people otherwise uh, your model will never see the, the light of the year right and this is so important. Uh, 
I discussed with um, with Ala. We have an episode, uh, also a recent episode that you can find on Mr. KI on the YouTube channels or any streaming platforms. And it's fascinating how we can get lost with vocabulary and not speaking the same languages, even though we want the same thing. For example, Ala was working with a fire station um, with um, with her class uh, at her university and. Um, and basically, they had to understand all the jargon, all the words that the, the fire station department uses and their processes before being able to do anything. And she also mentioned that they did a, an entire use case of data science just to find out that the systems, the data that were being collected wasn't fine, like it wasn't correct. So, so the model was working incredibly well but it didn't make any sense because the data was all wrong so the system had a huge important part also uh in this and so this is a little example maybe to, to enhance a little bit um what yeah, you've been uh, sure. saying do, do you have maybe uh, uh, an example um an example for us about um, some one time or specific projects or um like to to showcase a little bit the framework that you have when you when you try to add value to uh, to the business uh, thinking of the solution because uh, so you mentioned this quote of Einstein um, and we can a lot of the time think about the solutions and think about better way more complex way to do better things but like you said uh, if we capture the fully sol the full solution that we're trying to to solve uh, this is. Um, most of the time, it doesn't require that that much complex things. So maybe you can share uh, some of the frameworks you go by um, on approaching a specific problem and how you will do this switch between speaking with the business and making yeah, sure everything sure. is aligned. So the first thing I usually do when I have a project like that is to you know uh, start writing a notion. I really like Notion, so I will get a Notion document that's filed like a project spec. They have a pretty good templates, so if you want to take it, to check it out. But uh, I will usually also uh, mark all the stakeholders in the project on the page, because then they can see it, they can add projects, and I try to you know record every advancement I make in there so that they have access all the time to it. They can ask questions, they can you know, comment and everything. And uh, what I usually do is that I write the problem at first. So I give some context to the project and I try to describe the problem as precisely as possible. And then I mm -hmm. come up with a draft solution. So the first thing I would do is try to understand the current system, if there is one, to get a baseline. Because if there's no improvement, it's right. not worth it. So once I mm -hmm. built and I understood how the baseline is working and I get the metrics for the baseline, then I would start drafting possible solutions, but I would not implement anything, just write possible ways to solve that. And then once I reread them with a fresh mind and uh, you know trying to understand the problems, the potential problems, then I would go to the implementation, you know, run one or two of them, the ones I judge uh, the most, uh, the most prominent to solve the the problem, 
And uh, if I found uh, find a good solution, of course, I record everything in terms of metrics. I keep the notion uh, up to date all the time. And then in the mm -hmm. end, I would do a presentation. I always try to use Streamlit to build a little app where my users can interact with my model. I usually would do that because I think it's easier to visualize what we're expecting and what uh, this could be like in a real scenario, you know, because when you showcase, uh, for example, slides or, uh, you know, draws, it's really nice for technical people, but sometimes business people, like, they, this will not add much value to them. So what I usually do is that I try to build mm -hmm. a little app so that it also becomes a fun process to present the model. And then they would take a look, mm -hmm. you know, they would, uh, I would deploy this app. For example, you can do this quite easily in AWS with Lambdas and everything. You can deploy your app uh, really quickly with Docker. And uh, mm -hmm. then your users have an app that they can interact with to understand the pitfalls, try different scenarios, experiment. And once we have uh, validated mm -hmm. all that, then we go into the production phase. That's awesome. I feel like this is very valuable. Um, and when it's in production phase, how do you iterate with uh, with business? How do you go about improving it, maintaining it, and making sure it's what they need and the value that is uh, into their ends now is what expect is what yeah. they expect. So the first thing you need to do is to make sure that you collect feedback. So either from the user directly or through some, you know, some metric that you're collecting behind the user's usage. So this is really important mm -hmm. because, as you said, uh, if you don't have the data, you don't have uh, anything to monitor. And once you have that, it's really important, you know, to set up um, monitoring systems. Of course, if you have a one or two models in production, I would say you can do this by hand because I don't. I know every company is not at the stage to have a really good MLOps infrastructure so that they can, you know, you have everything connected. So that's really not the mm -hmm. case for every company. But uh, if you don't have that, you can for sure do it by hand. But I would really recommend that you start trying to think already in ways for you to re-trigger training automatically and everything like that, stuff like that. I think it's really important to, you know, right. build up that infrastructure as you go along so that uh, your projects can really support themselves. Yeah, and it reduces uh, frictions and costs of potential next use cases that can also be uh, very uh, valuable. Um, how do you go about communicating with the business or the people who are uh, using these projects? Uh, let's say you use the users. How do you communicate in non-technical terms, uh, and how do you make sure they understand, they understood what you are trying to communicate? And yeah, vice I think versa? it's really interesting to uh, you know deep dive into their day to day. So, for example, right now I work mm -hmm. with a lot of psychologists. So I really try to, you know, uh, read some papers about psychology, understand the terms on which they speak to one another, understand uh, how they mm -hmm. understand things, you know, really, really get into their shoes and try to try to learn as much as possible. Once, uh, once that uh, that is a continual process, of course, but once you have a base 
you can talk to them in terms they would understand. So for example, some metric, I don't know, a precision, you know, you could explain what precision actually means, you know, giving some examples, what would happen in that scenario or in this scenario. You know, I find that giving clear examples is always useful. And to understand mm -hmm. what they're talking about, I usually try to repeat what they said to me. So like, uh, so what you said was that, that, that. And if they say, no, that's not at all what I'm saying, there is a problem. And I should try to grasp <laughs> what they're yeah. actually meaning, you know. I think repeating them, it's really a good process to try to explain what they say to you directly. It's a really good process to make mm. sure that you understood what they are looking for. Right, right. Two big, uh, two big advice here, and I think uh, very valuable ones. I really like how you take their knowledge, their feed, their their um their expertise, and create specific examples of based on their knowledge to explain what you're trying to tell them. This is very interesting. I had many ideas, and and uh, yeah, it is very interesting to 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 do it that way because I would assume a lot of the times we can just take for granted that someone will kind of have an idea of what precision is, but then you have the confusion matrix and then you're like trying to explain which metric is optimum to, um, to which metric is the best to optimize in that case. But then you need to explain why you're doing this work and why it's important. So I totally understand how, how you can, um, uh, do these fun analogies to a specific field to explain your point. Um, and uh, the second one, of course, paraphrasing is a very, very high uh, communication skill. And uh, that's, also that's for super beginners, I would say just a um, little tip never undermine the expert. You know, there are experts on their field for a reason. They have knowledge to, you know, to uh, contribute to your work. So it's really, really important. For example, I was working with uh, an NLP project, you know, trying to identify psychology traits from phrases, for example, you know, reproducing some NLP work. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my psychology, my boss, for example, he's a psychologist. And he was like, okay, so that makes mm -hmm. sense because of this, this, and this, you know, some research here have shown already that those traits go together, for example, you know, so integrating that knowledge right. is something really beautiful and you can come up with uh, beautiful things. Yeah, I agree. And this is awesome because first you get to know very well the industry, you get to like you're, you're, you're in your profession doing what you want to increase in but you're also gaining a lot of expertise in something totally new um, which is not necessarily technically related and secondly this is amazing how how by understanding fully experts we can create amazing products and this will in the end be uh, the, the quality of what we uh, put in production and how well we're able to interpret and reproduce with machines I think is um, highly correlated with the quality of the products we're going to put out yeah, there. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, I have many questions, <laughs> to be honest. I would like to okay. ask you about NLP. Uh, I would like to ask you about a specific use case of NLP. But just before, I would love to know about... So you mentioned for anyone in the field who is getting 
at an advanced level who have already put into production some models uh, and have some quite under good understanding of like cloud services and different tools to use. Uh, you mentioned writing and sharing with the community. And uh, this is something you've been doing for, for some time. Um, so we talked a bit at the beginning, but I would love to come back on this. What do you share and why do you share on LinkedIn if there are more topics? Uh, and, and mainly, I think my question is, um, what are like, how do you try to help others in the field? Mm -hmm. I have many questions, but feel free to answer <laughs> however it feels. Uh, okay, so uh, the best why way. do I write on LinkedIn? Uh, at first, it was really because uh, I was uh, seeing some nice posts and I thought, hey, I could, you know, try to do that too, because I saw that the community was really engaging, especially in machine learning. You see uh, all the time the comments, you know, some insights, some really interesting insights from other people. And I got really into that. So I started, you know, writing and I started really, you know, engaging with a lot of interesting people. For example, James Andrew, he does a YouTube channel on Python. Uh, Paul, which, who talks a lot about uh, machine learning. And we also exchange uh, other ideas, you know, even about uh, creation, about how to best uh, write and share your content uh, with everyone. So there are many, many examples, you know, so today I consider myself lucky because I have a, a nice community that uh, really, where I really learn a lot, you know, and following some people really, really helps as well. Uh, so that's the main reason I, I've been writing so far. And uh, I really like to help uh, both beginners and advanced level people, but I mostly focus on beginners because I think uh, the big... Uh, challenge is for them especially right now to get into the field so what i try to do is usually bring a production first approach to them because they are usually at school or they are usually beginning their career so they they've worked with notebooks they know they work they know uh, how to build a logistic regression model in their notebook uh, with an iris data set or whatever but uh, they're not mostly aware of the challenges something like that could uh, have in production, for example. So what I try to do is usually recommend, uh, give tips on how to manage industry problems, how to better put your models in production, how to put your models in production, because some of them uh, never did it. And uh, so I wrote a little ebook on that. It's called uh, MLOps 101. It's a very hands-on approach where you can, uh, you know, at the end, put your model in production. But before, you're going to learn a lot about, uh, you know, CICD, for example, which is something uh, usually uh, machine learning engineers are not aware until they go out of college because it's something in the, in the industry you cannot do anything without it. So there are many concepts which I will try to, you know, go through with them through the book to help them as well. Right. And uh, CICD, continuous uh, deployment, continuous integration. Yes. Is that correct? <laughs> awesome. Uh, so if you're a beginner, if you're interested in the in this field, um, if you're interested in the ML engineer role, which is kind of 
to my perspective, a mix between a software engineer, data engineer, data scientist. Um, it might sound very overwhelming, but uh, I mean, it can be. And at the beginning, more because you need to have some fundamentals on different things, but it is worth it. Very interesting. So if you have any interest, feel free to check out uh, Dallas uh, on on LinkedIn and, and on his socials uh, and check this ebook. Uh, and if you have any question also, and this is definitely not the end, we have many more topics to speak about, but this is just a, a little bit of a conversation here. If you have questions, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. If you have career questions um, or, or questions regarding this episode, feel free to ask them and, we, and we'll answer them. Uh, we'll be more than happy to answer them. So getting back at the NLP career, would you have some NLP use case that you found particularly interesting and the process you've went with this case um, uh, could l teach us some lessons? So do you have any any case use case in ideas that you've been doing in NLP that you could uh, yeah. share with us like uh, step by step? So recently, for example, I was doing a project which was about uh, content validity in psychology tests. So, for example, I'll try to explain mm -hmm. that really fast. So, content validity is basically when a psychologist builds a test, it usually contains items. There are usually affirmations. For example, I like to talk to other people. I like to be by myself. And those affirmations mm -hmm. are, you know, designed to measure a specific trait. So, for example, extroversion, openness, right. agreeableness, the, the classic big five, and others. And uh, the, mm -hmm. the role of content validity is basically to understand if that is really measuring what is supposed to. Because if I say that item measures extraversion, but most of the people who took the test are understanding it as another thing, it doesn't make sense. So there was a recent mm -hmm. paper who, uh, you know, used uh, Diberta, it's um, an LP model. Who based, which basically uh, achieved a better performance at determining uh, the items, so the classification, than uh, humans. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we did at SS First was that uh, we applied that to the new to the new questionnaire we just uh, we just uh, came out. That is Swipe, so it's a psychology questionnaire. And uh, mm -hmm. we've applied that, and we also put it in the psychometric manual so it's a basically a guide on how to use the test uh, what the test measures and everything and we were the first company so to uh, use you know nlp at uh, for this application uh, at a you know psychometric manual company company wise so hmm. this was kind of a cool use case uh which uh, you know uh tells us a little bit about uh, how to uh, really understand the research, you know, trying to understand how that research can be applied to your context. Because that sometimes is usually mm. the challenge. You know, you have a lot of really powerful models nowadays, I would say LLMs and all types of models. And you need to understand uh, how to apply them to your specific context because uh, the, the context varies a lot depending on the size of your company, mm. the maturity level uh, in terms of AI and um, most uh, mm -hmm. other things, the cost they are willing to pay for AI, which is something really important, mm -hmm. as we said before. So I would say that that 
developing this perspective is really is really important. Right. So to make sure I understood correctly, you used um, uh, you just um, did you say it was uh, uh, yes, Berta? It's the Ber the Berta. It's disentangled representations. Yeah. The Berta. All right. And so basically, you, you mentioned you, that you yes, did the classification. I just did a classification problem. All right, classification problem to like analyze, to to then use this classification and detect what can make sense applied to whatever you want to do yes. with this information. So the right? test is basically already it was ready, but we were trying also to you know understand better the items of the test, understand if they are measuring what they're supposed to. So what we did was did we apply yeah. this feedback loop between psychology and NLP to better understand that and to be able to release that in the psychometric manual. So you get, uh, for example, I also extracted the embeddings and I put, uh, you know, I showed them where the, the specific traits are being measured uh, correctly. They were really different from one another. So I think that's the first test, uh, first psychology test, which contains uh, a content like that. That's awesome. That's awesome. I would have many questions to go on there and uh, thanks for sharing this uh, explanation. How important is it for you to, so for example, you've done the classification, maybe you're with data frames and it sounds obvious to you, but to share your insights, to share your conclusions based on the application that you've been doing, how do you go about visualization or about explaining the conclusions and uh, and showcasing to people who okay. are non-technical, which is kind of related to the previous, but because we have a specific use case, I, I think it can be interesting to to yeah. to deep so dive into that. What you usually need to do is uh, first explain really well the metric you're trying to measure and why that metric makes sense for that use case. So, for instance, uh, in this one, for example, I had to explain uh, what was uh, F1 score and why F1 score made sense in that case. And uh, mm -hmm. once you build that, you also need to present the baseline, basically show them the current level. So for example, for us, it was the mm -hmm. old test we have versus the new test. So mm -hmm. we, I presented basically the metrics for the, the old test, the, the previous version of the test. And I presented the metrics right. for the new improved version they, that they have launched recently. And uh, then we were able to showcase with, uh, you know, data and real concrete numbers that, uh, that the model mm -hmm. performed better. So that the items were actually better to measure what they're supposed to. Mm. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. I'll not uh, bother you with uh, feature selections uh, and uh, training, uh, like how do you train this classification? But uh, that's uh, that's super interesting. And, and the work that you're doing, uh, I think also in the field, we're very used to, and when I say the field, I talk about data and AI in general, which is very broad, but in machine learning engineer, there are many problems. And the fact that I would like to ask your opinion on how is it uh, working with, um, uh, with uh, so the the name of the yeah. company is Assess First, right? How is how is it um, how does it feel to have a real impact uh, 
I mean, I think you, maybe you can share a little bit about the company and I would love to know about uh, how you feel using those skills that are technical to come up with real decision that we have a real impact uh, on yeah. people's lives. So um, starting with SS First. So SS First is a company that tries to basically showcase the potential of each individual going beyond their CV, you know, which is something very rigid to really showcase basically based on their soft skills, their personality, trying to find the best contents for them to shine and show them what makes them unique and basically presenting that also to companies. So I'm really glad to be working that because, uh, you know, I use machine learning to help people basically better understand themselves, better understand their values, better understand the company's values, if they fit to one another, if uh, that makes sense for them, you know, because uh, some research has shown that uh, usually culture and values are basically what would make uh, people stay in the end. So basically, uh, if you're aligned with it, you know, the way your manager manages you, uh, if you, for example, if you like that, if you like your team, if you're aligned with the way the team operates. So all of that is really important. And then basically it's what uh, will define success in the end. And the beautiful thing uh, as, uh, mm -hmm. is that uh, there is no, you know, right or wrong traits. That's just a specific context uh, where those traits can shine and uh, others where uh, maybe you're not a good fit, but uh, you're going to be much happier in another context, you know? So uh, I feel, uh, I feel mm. really, really happy to, to be working there. That's awesome. And I like how you mentioned culture because uh, in the previous episode and with Andreas, as I mentioned before, we've talked a lot about culture and how it can be really game changers in terms of um, career-wise um, because if you have the right culture that, that suits you the best, you will be more productive, you'll have more energy and you'll feel more, not useful, <laughs> but you will feel more uh, accomplished and uh, that, that would lead to a, a better growth, uh, I would assume. And, and so the fact that you're working on this specific problem, this is a great example for anyone out there who might think, all right, I'm a data engineer, I'm a data scientist, I'm a machine learning engineer, I'm a business analyst, all those data jobs that we are saying, those are numbers. Yes, you mentioned before optimization problems, and those are still optimization problems. And we can go about it in a data-driven way and have a real impact into the world. So yes, we're doing... Um, data driven things we we're using data but if you put people first and if you understand that the technology is what enhances um, better systems happier people uh, this is a very optimistic message and I, I, i'm sure we'll have episodes on the show where we discuss that and, and we and, and we argue that but um uh i, I wanted to share this uh this vision and this is something real. Do you want yeah, to add something? Yeah, I, mean, I totally this? agree with you. You know, I mean, uh, AI is here uh, to help us. Basically, that's uh, my philosophy. You know, we should go in a direction where AI can be the most uh, useful to us. So uh, you need to really, I think, in my opinion, we need to really be careful uh, advancing. You know, responsibly. 
understanding the impacts that will have on human lives because uh, human lives are of course the priority you know human quality of life is the priority number one hmm. exactly and they're crazy that about if you look at uh, at the median or at the mean of um, the salaries in the u.s uh, i mean you can discuss inflations and everything but the The, the quality of life, if you compare it to 1950s and uh, to today's uh, life, have increased considerably. Um, uh, but this is, I don't want to, to get into the surveys and the numbers and everything. This is for another moment. Um, so speaking about culture, speaking about AI, we haven't talked much about LLMs. Uh, I've seen on LinkedIn recently, for anyone who is passionate about LLMs, that... Um, Azure have created a new service where you can deploy your uh, chat GPT, but in an open source way so that your data is isolated. And this is for an enterprise. Um, this is for enterprise. Of course, there are uh, other open source models. Uh, let's say Llama 2, for example, where you can already do this. And in AWS, Azure, this is not at all sponsored by Azure, but I just saw this news on LinkedIn, which I thought can be fun and useful for some people. So back to my question <laughs> um how do you see llms fitting in this big picture have you played a, a bit with them and and how do you see it evolving and not only llms but ai in general well um i would say that uh, of course llms are you know the the big thing right now you know they're they do uh, all things actually pretty pretty well so they are basically foundation models usually they can perform in almost uh, any test which is quite uh, nice but uh, to me the future looks like mostly you know them as uh, enhancers i would say because for example you will need to learn how to express yourself better so that they can understand you and the interaction between human and machine is what is going to make the future brighter i really am not a true believer in the fact that they are going to replace humans but mostly in the fact that they are going to you know transform the way that we do things for example so right now uh, we're seeing this a little bit uh, with coding so coding has been uh, much about typing code for the last uh, i don't know last years But right now, uh, we're coming to a point where you could uh, express what you're thinking about engineering-wise in a way that uh, the LLM could produce the code. Of course, there are still many bugs. There are many privacy things. They say they produce uh, sometimes unsafe code. So you need, to be, you need to still have an expert to interact with. And also, I think the most important thing is that the prompt needs to be really precise. So you need to know what you want. And usually we don't know what we want if you're not a, an expert. So it's really hard to express what you want if you're not a, an expert. So that's where I think things are headed. You know, For most uh, jobs, you have an assistant, a personal assistant, uh, probably as you mentioned with uh, isolation, which is something really important. Uh, so, you know, your own context, your own data, and then you see uh, more and more personal helpers, you know, things like that. 
but usually as enhancers of the jobs. So for example, for doctors, for engineers, for developers. Exactly. And this will require a lot of time spent with experts, like you mentioned, like yourself with psychologists, uh, create uh, the virtual psychologist that can address specific problems uh, based on these guidelines. Um, very interesting. And um, and so you, you've been uh, some years, so this is uh, LLM-wise. Uh, you've shared about uh, a bit about AI, but if we're speaking about AI in general, um, what like do you have any concerns? Do you have any doubts? Um, how do you see these evolutions? You mentioned a bit, but uh, asking again because maybe uh, I would love to hear a bit more about um, your your vision on the state of the art of AI. And to put a bit of introduction before, uh, I mean things have grown so fast lately. Uh, I was reading uh, I was reading a, a book in the. Uh, there is in 1950 again, uh, 81% of the population uh, in the US was doing work with their hands. And so the idea of doing work with our heads is very recent in, in the time frame. Um, if you look at the species of the, of the human, it goes like for, I mean, 100, 200 years is nothing. So Putting into context the evolution of internet, the evolution of systems, the evolution of, well, today with the breakthrough of LLMs, but a lot of these are, are, are coming. And I personally believe it can be an exponential growth. That being said, um, yeah, how do you put AI, state-of-the-art AI, uh, and how do you see it? How threatening do you see it? Um, and how... How is how important is it to to draw lines in the field? Mm -hmm. A lot of questions here, but you can answer it freely on, okay. on, the, on this subject. I think uh, for AI in general, the future is very promising. As you said, uh, LLMs uh, like uh, we'll see more and more applications of this, which will be really really interesting. Um, but we can also mm -hmm. see uh, you know bad applications, and that's uh, where things are not that beautiful. So I think a big concern for me right now, it's something that's already possible. It's like misinformation at scale. So AI can produce uh, generative AI, especially can produce uh, content which really looks like the truth, but it's not. So if it's in the wrong hands or used unethically, it can really produce, uh, you know, destructive, destructive results. Uh, I think uh, in terms of uh, an AGI risk, uh, I think it's not the time to think about it, even even if uh, the growth is really exponential. I think we already have enough problems right now that justify, you know, thinking about uh, regulations, thinking about uh, ethics, uh, how to handle this properly, because it's such a powerful thing that uh, we need to really just watch how we go I'm not saying, of course, uh, stopping everything or whatever. I'm saying like uh, proceeding with caution, you know, understanding at each step uh, what the potential impacts might be, and, you know, having also contributions from other fields. So not only engineers, but, uh, you know, for example, psychologists, uh, social scientists, uh, you know, politicians, I think uh, I think honestly everyone should be involved on that debate because it's not it's not um, 
just a technical debate. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and mostly because, uh, yeah, the, the applications are, and you're, you're already working uh, with, uh, with psychologists, uh, and you're, uh, like, like we mentioned in this episode, we're building bridges and between data scientists and data engineers, there are bridges and there are vocabularies that are, that are, that make one understand less the other. So if at this level there are bridges that needs to be built for everyone to be aligned on what we're talking about, then we can only imagine at scale how we're going to build a lot of bridges, a lot of uh, lines. And um, yeah, like you mentioned, the, the content creation at scale, fake news at scale is a uh, very uh, destructive uh, this is a very destructive power, but it have to be taken into account and you have to build it. Whereas this is why regulations, ethic is sincerely, uh, extremely important uh, into this field. Uh, so this is uh, AI. Do you have some, so two questions in one, very short ones. How do you see ML engineer and MLOps uh, evolving? That, okay. That's my first question. I think, uh, you know, as we see more and more of those finding uh, foundation models, mm-hmm. we'll, uh, I think uh, ML and MLOps engineering will become more and more important because uh, we, it will become really less about the use case you have, but more on how to put that in your own context and in your own company. So, uh, for example, mm-hmm. you mentioned Demo. Uh, it's uh, it's a model that's really efficient, uh, but you need to learn how to deploy it in your context. You need to be aware of the cost of that. And there are many factors where MLOps and ML engineering will really come in handy for companies, I would say. So that's where I'm seeing because I'm mostly right now we are going to deal with uh, APIs and things like that. So uh, ML engineering will become uh, really important to also optimize those models because those models right now, they consume a lot of energy. They're costly. So you need to, you need to you know, work on that as well. And uh, so, yeah, I think the future is very promising for those who want to, to dive into this. Awesome. Awesome. I'm really uh, looking forward to... Uh... Yeah, I'm not in a hurry, but I'm really looking forward to everything and, and how it's going to uh, to uh, to help us build, create a better world. Uh, I think that's my optimistic uh, vision. And of course, we'll face some challenges times, some challenging time series. But um, I mean, well, how do you see open source? How do you see the role of open source in this well, big picture? I think uh, the role of open source is, uh, you know, pretty important because uh, up to now, I think the software community has really relied on open source. For example, with uh, GitHub, uh, Linux, which is basically every system and uh, all the software. And I think the community really appreciates it. So I think the open source could be the future in the sense that uh, community, I think to me, is usually the future. I mean, I tend to be a very optimistic, but I usually think that, you know, 
building together is the future, you know, and something that can be opened by mm. others, that can be analyzed by others, that can be improved by others. You know, that's that's how we grow, basically. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I have two more little questions. We're at the end of the episode. Uh, but first, I want to thank you so much, Talis, for sharing on this uh, show. I had an amazing time. Um, I'm really looking forward to uh, the content that you're uh, publishing and, uh, and uh, the work you're doing sounds uh, very, very interesting uh, and really helping real world problems, which uh, is great to be able to showcase also on the show, like how machine learning engineering uh, can be uh, such uh, an important part of what we're building and the, and, the, and the better world we're building with this optimistic vision. My two last questions for you are, uh, first of all, where can people reach out to you, see yeah. more about you? Thank you for having me. It was an amazing session. I mean, it's really nice to talk about machine learning, a guy, I love it. And uh, yes, uh, so I have my LinkedIn page mostly. Um, so it's basically Talismara. And uh, I also write a little bit on Medium. I'll try to write more. It's in my goals. So if you, you also can check me out there, there are already some articles there about MLOps and CICD, which are, which are basically some basics. So yeah, those are the two, uh, two uh, main uh, networks. Awesome. And would you have a message for the list of community? It can be advanced professional, uh, uh, more beginner um, level in the data field. And mainly the message can be anything we discussed in this episode. It can be personal, it okay. can be professional. Feel free to whatever comes up to your mind. I think my final message could be, you know, let's keep, uh, let's keep doing things together. Let's keep talking. Let's keep uh, discussing with one another. Because uh, that's the way we're gonna grow, and that's the way we're going to ensure that the future is bright. Awesome! Thanks a lot, Dallas, Thank and I wish you to have a wonderful day. Congrats! You've made it to the end. I hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things. To learn more about AI, you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog. And to support the podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. You can also share it with two friends, colleagues, or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye.